You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker and Will Heflin, former Tennessee pitcher. Will Heflin on this edition of the podcast. We finally have some games to react to, a, a weekend full of games to react to. I guess it's 28 innings of baseball that, that we got to watch over the weekend and 28 innings of baseball that we get to react to. Uh, glad to have Heflin back on the podcast. Glad Wes and I survived the weekend, the busy weekend that was, and ready for another busy week coming up with five baseball games. Uh, we are recording this late Tuesday morning at around 11 o'clock, and uh, Tennessee baseball will be back in action later this afternoon at 4.30 for the home opener against UNC Asheville, and then they will be back in action tomorrow at the same time, 4.30 against ETSU. And then they will welcome Albany this weekend for a three-game series. And we will record another podcast on Thursday discussing some of the midweek stuff that comes about over the next two days and, and then give a quick preview uh, about the weekend. Uh, but that can that can wait because we, we know what's going to happen in these midweek games, whereas this past weekend was very, very entertaining We'll check on the guys first before we dive into our reaction and thoughts. Uh, Heflin, since we haven't spoken to you in uh, a minute because you were too good for us last week, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, and I'm never too good for you two. But I do have a full-time job, so I got <laughs> <laughs> I got caught up last week. But it's good to be back, and let me say it was awesome to watch baseball all weekend as well as some basketball sprinkled in. Luckily, um, the Vols – basketball wasn't even worth watching you want to talk about handling business they did that in emphatic fashion but i was watching all kinds of baseball games and and some for outside uh motivating factors um but you know like dallas baptist all, all sorts of just games you wouldn't typically see i was deep in the realm of espn plus over the weekend so i love it it's great time of year good to be back there were a lot of good matchups not just at the um 
at the Shriners that Tennessee was a part of, but there were some other good series uh, around the country as well. So super excited to to have baseball back and and a lot of good things to take away from what we saw from the Vols. So um, I'm doing well. Wes, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm pouring one out for Flow Sports, uh, my membership there, RIP to Flow Sports. It was a nice three days. It was good for me. I hope it was good for you. But we'll consider that a three night stand, and we'll probably move on uh, with our lives. But uh, no, I'm doing all right. It's um, tonight will be the first time I think ever that I'm going to cover a basketball game from a baseball press box. I don't think I've ever done that before. But uh, just a heads up out there to everybody: Mizzou 0 and 12 in in the hoops this year in the league play. So we will not be in Columbia. We'll just be watching that game. It's just kind of they're not good. So yeah, yeah um, it's a, a big it's waste a long, of time. It's a long trip, and they're not good. So uh, yeah, they're about as good as a uh, UNC Asheville is in baseball. The, those guys went to Athens over the weekend and lost, I think, thirty-eight to seven over three games. So yeah, and that was probably with their better pitchers than than they might be throwing to, in the game today. So so we shall see. But uh, I'm doing great, man. I'm glad that you're doing great, Wesley. Always always glad to see you. Uh, each and every morning, bright-eyed and, and bushy-tailed. At my best. Uh, and, and, and your Cubs colors to try and, and talk them into signing Cody Bellinger. Please do uh, it. A, do, a, it. A, do it. Do it. Do it. A long-term deal. Uh, yeah. Maybe UNC Asheville can recruit Drew Pember and have him pitch against mm-hmm. the Vols tonight. I, I, I wonder if – do you think UNC Asheville would be a better test for the Tennessee basketball team? UNC Asheville basketball would be a better test for the Tennessee basketball team than oh, than this Missouri 100%. team? Yeah, I think so too. Maybe oh, yeah. better than Missouri. I thought you meant better than their than their baseball. Better than Missouri. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm they're not certainly sure. better than the baseball team. I mean, now that Pember's got that long hair, which I just can't get over, it's wild. Early early this season, I was watching one of their games, and I was like, "Look at that! He's like a hippie now. That's awesome. He was like me during the pandemic. I like to see it." Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness you cut that off. Uh, all right. Let, let's dive into it. We we have so much to discuss. Uh, so much to discuss, and then we'll try to do it in a timely manner. But Lord knows Wes and myself love to talk and uh, sometimes love to ramble. Uh, so, Heflin, we'll, we'll let you lead off, Mr. Mister Leadoff Hitter and, and right fielder, designated hitter. What was your biggest takeaway from Tennessee's opening weekend? Biggest takeaway is all the pieces that you wanted to see for what could potentially be this 2024 version of Tennessee baseball, you saw. You saw everything that you needed to see in terms of what this team could be. Nobody knows what that ceiling is. Nobody knows what the floor is. But you know something's there. You know you've got an absolute stud in Billy Amick. You know that you've got a bona fide starter in A.J. Russell. We already knew what, what Drew Beam was. Um, I thought A.J. Russell kind of stole the show on Friday. He was electric, not just the strikeouts, but the way he went about it. Um, he just was right after guys the whole time, kind of a carryover of what we saw late in the year last year. So he looked awesome. And I think you saw a lot of versatility with the lineup, even having played, what, 13, 14 guys. Um, you saw that there's jobs that aren't completely secured, but you know there's good options at all of them. Um, and I thought, you know, I think we knew going in that we would have a lot of power, but 
I'm not sure we quite knew there'd be as much versatility um, with speed and athleticism. I mean, credit to to Coach Q and the strength and all that, but also just the the type of athlete they're recruiting. I mean, these guys in the box just look awesome. They just look like athletes. They look great in there. Peebles, I thought, looked great, even though he didn't have a ton of results to show for it. Um, Hal Stark looked like he'd improved a ton. Um, my biggest takeaway is that everything you need is there. Wes, what what stood out to you uh, the the most? I know there's several routes that that you can you can go. I think we all three generally believe that it was a great opening weekend for Tennessee, or at least a good opening weekend. I don't know mm -hmm. if you can say great since you did lose a game, uh, but I, I think it was really really good. I think there are a lot of great signs. Certainly more good signs than, than bad. There's only really one serious question mark for me coming out of the weekend. And we'll talk about that in the second segment. Uh, but there, there's a lot of different routes that you can go because overall it was just a really productive weekend. And uh, they, they showed that they're going to be really, really good once again. Yeah. I guess my biggest two snapshots are one, especially when some of those middle infielders get healthy I think for the first time that Tony's been there, they're really going to have an actual two deep. Like I think in every position, once those guys get healthy up the middle, I think they're going to have like at least a two deep in terms of guys that you could put in behind somebody guys who aren't starting at any of the eight positions in the field who could be good enough to start at the eight positions in the field for a ranked baseball team. And I think that is, that's a huge thing as the season goes on and guys maybe get injured. And, that, and the second biggest thing for me, because there's a lot of little things I want to discuss throughout the podcast, but the biggest thing to me was there was nothing, even the things that did not go great for Tennessee over the weekend, they also showed signs while those things could be okay. Like even the small little things that didn't go perfectly – at different times during the weekend, they showed pieces and showed guys and showed ways to, you know, fix those things. So there's nothing that they showed in that first weekend that is just ringing an alarm bell for me as a problem at all in terms of the long run. Things will come up, I'm sure. But it was it was good athletically. They look great. They're not just bigger. I think they're quicker. They're moving around the bases faster. Um, they're, and I know some of those things were triples in that big ballpark because that's just a big ballpark. Um, and anytime you put like a college team in like a big MLB park like that with the outfield, you're going to get a couple more triples. That's just how it is. But I didn't, I didn't see anything that I think they couldn't fix. So that, that to me was the biggest thing. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with your thoughts there. And I, I thought you summarized the big picture really well that there's no glaring weaknesses, it appears, going into the thick of, of non-conference play. And, I mean, they, they should frankly breeze through non-conference play, quite frankly. I mean, the, the, the Kansas State midweek game, that, that should be a, a pretty competitive game. Uh, but, but aside from that, I, I'm not saying that they'll go perfect. You know, they've got 15 straight home games coming up before they get into that road trip to Alabama to kick off SEC play. I, I would be surprised if they go 15-0 and 0 because it's baseball. I mean, you, you saw some quirky results over the weekend already. Uh, Florida losing to St. John's, and we could go on and on and on. Uh, but 
I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, like, if, if they lose one to Albany or lose one to whoever else, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Bowling Green. Uh, it, now, if they lose a series, then okay, that's alarming. But it, but if they lose one out of the 15, it, it's not time to, to sound the alarm. It, it's just kind of part of, mm-hmm. of baseball more than anything else. But uh, I, I think they're going to cruise here these next couple of weeks. So there's no red flags like you mentioned, Wes, or alluded to. But there are some question marks moving forward. And, and we'll get to that on the second uh, side of, of this podcast after the break. The two big things that I took away, Will, was – the bullpen and the defense. You know, we spent our pitching preview discussing, okay, Tennessee has pieces in the bullpen, but they need to prove themselves. And who is going to play what role? How is this guy going to look in, in that role? How is this guy going to look transitioning to better competition, transferring in, things of, of that nature? So we'll start with the bullpen and then talk about the defense after we go around the horn here. But the the bullpen, that, that was my biggest positive takeaway is that that thing looks like it can be pretty lethal uh, assuming that what we saw this weekend does tend to play out and some guys continue to hit their groove going forward yeah I mean AJ Causey was unbelievable if he doesn't move to a starting role then I don't see a reason to switch up what you did on Friday let him come in after AJ Russell and if he's rolling and if AJ Russell goes deep then You've used two arms, and you've probably got a win on Friday. And that's a great recipe. Reminds me of Chad Dallas, Sean Hunley Fridays. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really good. I'm not surprised just because it's Frank Anderson and just the way the staff has been rolling for the last few years. But it was a a lot of, of new guys that we hadn't seen before, and we had a lot of turnover, especially in the bullpen. Um, So you never really know exactly what you're going to get but you really just want to have one or two guys that you know are dudes and you can put them in at whatever time during the weekend and the game's pretty much over and it's easier said than done but like you want to have that kevin cop so you can go to you want to have you know it was it was halverson and burns for us last year so you, you want to have those those type guys and i thought sneed on sunday was awesome um and even on even in the loss on saturday i was really really impressed with matthew dallas i mean he was in there very short but it looked legit and marcus phillips um he looked like he was throwing a bowling ball a little little sporadic there we'll see we'll see how he um you know settles in as he gets more outings under him but uh, clearly you've got plenty of ammunition in the bullpen, so they'll they'll continue to tweak and dial and figure out the best combination. But, um, yeah, my biggest takeaway is you've got an absolute Swiss Army knife in A.J. Causey. Absolutely. And, and, Wes, before you chime in on the bullpen, welcome to Tennessee baseball, Marcus Phillips, where you will be pulled mid-count. There's no bow, mm-hmm. no bones about it. Well, mm-hmm. welcome to the, to the Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello school of thinking to where if you give up a walk – I think it was on four straight pitches too when he gave up that walk, and, and then you yeah. you throw two more balls after that, you are probably coming out. Yeah, yeah odds are you're probably throwing two more, and we don't need to see it. Yeah, it's Come just, see us, because Tony, Tony will just. There's times where he's like, "Nope, that's it, that's it. Nope, 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 nope." In mid mid count, I've never, I I still it still kind of shocks the senses a little bit just because he usually see it like occasionally from other guys. Tony's like, "Nope, nope." two ball a walk and two balls that's it like it, it's um 
I, you know, I thought Combs was really good too. And I mean, I think he, maybe that third inning was asking a little bit too much out of him. Um, maybe. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if that was part of the issue there. I don't know. I know that's a bigger deal maybe in pro ball than it is at the college level, but I don't know. It seemed like he was just, just not quite as sharp there in that third inning, but he was good the first couple, I thought. And he's a guy that's also coming off some general arm soreness. He, he missed, I don't know exactly how long he missed, but he, he missed a, a a nice chunk of time to start the preseason dealing with some general arm soreness. So I, I want to say he's only been back three or four weeks. So I, I imagine that had to contribute to some of what you're saying right now, Wes. Yeah, that, that would make sense. I'm glad you chimed in with that. Cause I didn't, I didn't know that, or I didn't, you may have mentioned that earlier and I didn't recall it, but it, it, it was, I like the options that they have, no matter what they do with that Sunday role, I really, really, really do like Will's idea of that whole kind of bringing back the those those kind of you know Hunley Friday nights where you've got like a starter and then a Hunley and then you're good. So cause I don't know. I kind of like I really kind of like that being a possibility of something that could happen. I, although I think Causey or Sneed could profile as a starter, but I also kind of really like the option of Sneed being a wipeout guy out of the pen that comes in and just overwhelms you. Now, maybe Phillips could become that guy too. So then you can move Snead into a starter role at some point, but they've got options there. They got options that I like a lot. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Stamos, who I still think it should be Stamos, but you know, that's his last name. We'll let him say how he wants to say it. He looked really yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, he looked good. I thought, um, you know, he, he turned turn the, all, all, all he did was turn the, the program's first triple play since 1997 and then come back the next day and strike out four of the seven batters he faced. Yeah. Even I was not, uh, covering Tennessee in 1997. So that, that tells you how long ago that was. Um, but yeah, it, it's, and there were some guys that we didn't see over the weekend that I think we're, we're going to see throughout the year too. I like the options that they have. And, and I think they could profile in any different, any number of different ways. And I can see the way the wheels kind of turn in Tony's head. I imagine he's, they're, they're just churning all the time now about, okay, how do I get these in position? How do I get these in position? Where am I going to put these? You don't have to hurry about it. Cause you got, a few weeks till league play starts, but I like the options there on the mound. And, you know, maybe just maybe when we said, you know, this could be lucky to be like a, you know, like a top 10 or so pitching staff, maybe we were underselling that. Maybe the options are there to go up there and dominate again. We will see. I'll tell you, AJ Russell taking the ball for the first time in his career on a Friday night and uh, some nerves playing a really good team. Texas Tech, great program. Been to Omaha a lot. A lot. There's like three top 100 prospects or so on that roster. And his first Friday night start as a college player. And he said, just, you know, give me the dang ball and I'm going to throw it by him. That's big time, man. Yeah, and, and, you, and you saw what I was alluding to last week, mm-hmm. Will, when, when you weren't able to join us unfortunately because you have a day job a full-time job unlike us bums um but it, it was it wasn't anything that drew beam did wrong it was just that aj russell is that good and i and i hate saying this because it it comes off as putting drew beam down and i'm not at all trying to do that but aj russell might be tennessee's best pitcher his stuff is just absolutely electric 
And, you know, I, I talked last week on the podcast about how that last Friday before the opener, I sat there and I watched inside of Lindsey Nelson, A.J. Russell carve up Tennessee's starting lineup, the same lineup that popped off in game one and game three this past weekend. And Billy Amick looked silly with a bat in his hand against A.J. Russell. Christian Moore looked silly with a bat in his hand against A.J. Russell. The whole lineup did. And I, I thought it was funny Billy brought that up in his post-game interview after the win over Texas Tech and said, I, I had to face Russell and Causey back-to-back last week, and, and it was not fun. I'll, I'll just leave it at that or said it, it didn't go poorly. I don't have the exact quote in in front of me. But you, you saw why Tennessee was comfortable starting A.J. Russell game one because that kid has electric stuff and – Again, it's a 1A, 1B situation with him and Drew Beam, not a number one and number two type of situation. And, and I think Tennessee's got a great one-two punch on its hands. Yeah, and it's just funny because, like, Drew Beam is a first-rounder. Like, everything you want in a first-round starting pitcher, like, he, he's he's proven it over the course of two-plus years now, and the stuff is there to match it. And so I told I told Ben over text, like, I just didn't agree with it because I was like, what has this guy done not to earn the Friday night job? But it is kind of like the the one A, one B. And what does that tell you about AJ Russell? Is like what what kind of ceiling are we looking at with this cat? Um so yeah, now I'm good with it. Uh we'll we'll rock and roll. Yeah, it, I, I think maybe the difference could be that Beam is plus and Russell's upside is plus plus, maybe is a nice way to say it. I mean, Beam is Really, really good. He doesn't miss as many bats as Russell, though. Russell is a bat-missing machine. And at the end of the day, these guys have aluminum in their hands. And I know it's like BB core, and I know it's a little deadened from the drop five, you know, era where the, the bats were the size of, like, you know, those little kids' bats that you see with the barrels, like, that big. But it's different now. But still, those are aluminum bats, and if you can miss those bats, that's that's big. So... Um, Beam, I think, is still going to, you know, he gave up, what, six, seven hits, but he scattered them mostly. He was fine. I'd like to see a few more strikeouts. I think he can do that, and he will. But, I mean, if you just were airdropped in, didn't know anything about Tennessee baseball, never seen him play before, and last weekend was the first time you saw him, and you saw the Friday night guy, and you saw the Saturday night guy, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's what a Friday night guy should look like, and that's what a Saturday night guy should look like. So, I mean, put them in the order they're in. That's fine. I like that because if you lose the opener, then Beam helps you, you know, go in there kind of with that QB1 mentality to level the series on Saturday. I kind of I like it. Um, but if you're looking at traditional Friday night SEC pitchers with just like boom, dominant, dominant stuff, Russell's probably your guy. Maybe see at some point, but Russell's your guy. Absolutely. And uh... – I, I really like the idea of Causey following him up, continuing to do that, as you all discussed. Uh, it's just a different look in fastballs. Uh, that's what Russell said to me that was the biggest difference or, or what makes it so difficult for hitters is uh, AJ said he, ha- he does have a lower slot, arm slot, than most pitchers. But then, of course, AJ, his arm slot is the low of the low, a submarine pitcher, and uh, – AJ, his fastball has more ride on it and and mm-hmm. kind of carries up, whereas AJ's fastball has a lot of sink on it. 
and and it's just when you see upper 90s and kind of taking off on you and then here comes this summer ring guy who's throwing mid nine or not mid 90s but low 90s 92 93 and we'll talk about this on on the pitching preview that 92 93 when it's coming from that submarine arm slot and, and it's well and it's taken off on you it's not 92 93 well it's probably what 90 feels like 95 96 it, it might as well be 100 okay even and, even more so texas tech hitters made it look like 102 yes they they did and aj also said that on top of the fastballs I believe he said that AJ is more fastball slider, if I'm not mistaken, whereas Causey is also fastball changeup. So they've got a second or a really good quality secondary pitch that that feeds off of it uh, as well. So I really like that one-two punch. I want to come back to the Causey conversation uh, when we talk about that third starter uh, here at the end of the podcast. But before we catch a break, I, I want to talk about the defense that I, that I mentioned. That was just about as big of a takeaway for me in a positive manner as the bullpen was because I thought Tennessee played phenomenal defense uh, all weekend long. There there were a couple of plays here and there. Uh, the Dylan Dryling running catch that wasn't on the line drive there in the 10th inning against Oklahoma. Tough catch, but one you got to make. And uh, he'll learn from that. And he owned up to it after the game and, and said that he's just going to view it as a learning experience and, and take it and run with it. Uh, but he also made a couple of nice catches out there in the field uh, around uh, that dropped ball. I thought the the triple that Causey gave up that allowed Tech to get on the board, I thought Hunter Inslee took a weird angle to the ball that, that allowed that to mm-hmm. be a triple. But that that's probably MLB ballpark, not being familiar with it. And and Hunter Inslee's a great defender. Like he'll be fine. I I don't really. I I more so bring that up to mention just how minuscule the the mistakes were this weekend. Uh, outside of the dryling weren't dryling one, there really wasn't a, a big one. And and you also saw Hunter make several great catches over his head where he had to make great angles in order to get back to the warning track in a bigger ballpark and make the catch. And he did that. So Hunter will be perfectly fine, of course. And then really the only other one that stands out, it was another tough play was the, the double play ball that could have been that, that was hard hit that barely got under the glove of Simo there at shortstop. Other than that, I mean, there are phenomenal plays everywhere. And, and even that play with Simo again, it was a really tough play to make uh, one that uh, an SEC shortstop, needs to make i would say mm-hmm. but still a, a really tough play and again that's more so pointing out just how good of a defensive weekend it was that the the mistakes if you want to call them that the ones that pop out they were very very minor and, and tough plays to make but uh, that was the other big question for me west coming into the season along with the bullpen is what was the defense going to look like and it i can't remember at the start of the season maybe will can correct me from some of the early vitello years but that's as good of a Tennessee defense as looked off the off the rip to start a season as I can remember under Vitello. Yeah, th- there were very very few minor things there that could have been better. I thought overall the defense was 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 good, and you know there was a lot of talk that maybe Amick would have played his his erratic playing time at Clemson last season was because they couldn't they they didn't really trust his glove at times and. I mean, I thought he looked fine over there. I mean, you know, Tommy Tanks isn't Brooks Robinson over at third base. You know, and I think and I think Amick's better than him. You know, and and he's better than 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 Tanks over there as a defender. So, I I liked what I saw there. Dryling's really athletic, and he he should have made the play. 
absolutely the one that the the big spot you got to make that play but the way he also tried down some of those balls in the corner if he keeps improving at this current rate his final season at Tennessee he could be the center fielder like he's really come a long way in well, terms this of might be his final season at, is, is at he, Tennessee because he's draft eligible after I, this year. I didn't know he was I didn't know he was a draft eligible sophomore. Okay. And then, if he keeps if he keeps hitting yeah. baseball he four hundred and forty no, feet <laughs> the the way that he did. No if boys, he's gone. Yeah, it's my my, yeah. my entire my entire line of thinking just reversed course immediately. I did not know yeah. he was a draft yeah, eligible sophomore. Eligible, yeah, so he's gone. Never enjoy mind. Enjoy Dylan Dryland yeah. this year while you can. Yeah, may, maybe See ya. yeah, and, and you know, actually tears is draft eligible too. So <clears throat> you know they gotta they gotta they gotta they gotta reload. Um but I think in terms of now they can cover ground in that outfield and and especially in like a regular size kind of college outfield they're going to be just fine there's a lot of there's a lot they can get to there i still if i'm being honest i just would rather have christian moore at second than short i just would but he did make some plays at short that were that were solid plays i mean just i'd rather have a defensive wizard at shortstop but at least make the plays in front of you if you just make the plays in front of you, like the the pitchers will love you if you just make the plays you're supposed to to make. They'll love you a lot, you know, if, if you go make the plays that are tougher to make. But if you just make the plays that are there to be made, like if they earn a ground ball, you know, out, make the play. If they get a can of corn, go catch the ball. Like in and with Tennessee's offense and Tennessee's arms, if they'll just play decent defensively they'll be fine and i think they'll be better than decent i like what i saw there blake burke picking some balls at first base too look good yeah burke looked good and vitello's big thing is and the phrase is literally dominate the average play um and that's what they did all weekend i mean really and not to not to just quote him like a little minion or something but i mean they really did and and the other thing about it too is like you've been playing on turf uh, the entire preseason, and then your first weekend is on uh, a real surface, which does play a little bit of a role. Mm-hmm. Um, shouldn't be a huge factor, especially after you take in and out and have a BP session, you get used to it. But it's you don't always get the easiest hops, um, especially on the infield. And they just didn't make any boneheaded blunders. I mean, they really didn't. And I thought the play of the weekend came from came from the catcher position. Um, that play Cal Stark made where he. Reaches up over one shoulder, catches the ball, and then 360s back to get the tag down right in the perfect spot in front of the play. It was one of the better plays I've seen from a catcher. Elite tag. Uh, that, was, that was like a Javi Baez level tag. It was really, really It nice. was elite. And the announcers were going on and on about it and for good reason. Um, and Cal just – he played awesome behind the dish. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that looked motivated to, to kind of be like, like hey, I'm going to be in the mix look look at that guy's weekend and that's what you need like people's is obviously the guy extremely talented um you know gonna probably gonna be a higher higher draft selection when his time comes um offensively there's there's much more there but but cal played awesome i mean he threw a couple guys out made those nice defensive plays and then at the at the uh at the plate he hit an absolute screamer straight at the right fielder which was one of the better swings i've seen him take so I, that's not anything to do with the defense. But for me, it was just they didn't make any super dumb plays. And everything that we're having to point at is nitpicking. And that's a good sign um, that when you just make the average plays, you're typically in a really good spot um, defensively. And 
And that was that was kind of a question mark coming in because you knew what the lineup was going to be. I mean, you've just got power and 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 hit ability up and down the lineup, but it was it kind of feels like maybe this team isn't as defensively gifted when you take away a Drew Gilbert and you take away a Max Ferguson and and you take away a uh, a Maui at short. Like we, we've just had some really bona fide defenders um, the last couple of years and. All of the guys we've had this year coming in seem to be more offensive, and that's fine with me as long as you make those average plays. And like you said, Ensley kind of holds it down in center. He's just really solid um, there, and Dryling looks like he's come a long way and certainly athletic enough to make the plays. And then Kavaris has a, a cannon in right. So for me, I was kind of most concerned about the outfield um, just because I knew we had some injuries on the infield, and that would sort itself out later. But the way they roamed that massive uh, major league outfield, I was I was really impressed with. Outside of the the one route that you talked about and the one ball that that Dryling didn't get to, but he made some other nice ones. And to be frank, we probably weren't winning that game anyways. It just felt like OU would break through before we did at some point. It's early. It's whatever. You move on. Learn from it. Yeah, Tennessee should have won that game before you even got to the tenth inning, with the amount of runners you left on base and. You had what first and second in the the bottom of the ninth with with one out. You, you got to come through there and, and win the game. So I feel you there for sure. And I'm glad you all each highlighted a lot of individuals there around the diamond defensively because I was about to do the same. Um, and you know Blake Burke, we can have a conversation about his place in the lineup later, and and people can be frustrated about his hitting during opening weekend, but he looks like an improved defensive player. Mm-hmm. really improved and he made several nice plays as as you all discussed uh Cal Stark I can tell that that this is going to be an ongoing conversation throughout the year people don't understand Cal Stark's value and I just don't know what to tell you if you don't understand Cal Stark's value because yes he is not a 250 hitter he he's not he's not keeping people at the plate but to your point Will that and you brought it up that line drive that he hit the right field he he stroked that pitch and, and that was as good of a swing as we've seen from Cal Stark and that uh, was and it, go ahead that was the big thing with him last year is he he was pulling off a lot and I don't want to sound like the dang hitting coach but he just I mean every, all of his good swings were to pull side and that's a very understandable funk to kind of get into but when you're driving baseballs to all fields that's a sign that your swing is much more dialed in. And so that's a really good sign for Cal Stark. That's all I meant. 1,000%. I, I was about to make the same point. I, I watched uh, Labor Torres, my second baseman with the, the, the New York Yankees, and when he's, a, when he's in a slump, it's because he's always trying to pull things and hit home runs to left field. But when he's at his best, he's going the opposite way and, and hitting doubles into the opposite field gap, hitting singles to the right side of the infield, hitting singles up the middle. W- when a hitter is on, it's – you, you can tell that they're on when they're going the opposite way with the baseball. And so that that's a great point to make that not only did Cal hit it on a line, but it was the opposite way. But even hitting a side, if you don't see Cal Stark's value to this baseball team, again, I don't know what to tell you. He is elite defensively with the arm, with his ability to frame. Tony Vitello adores his ability to have command of the pitching staff had the rapport with the pitching staff that a catcher needs to have. His ability, Tony Vitello called it an art this weekend, to be able to have the relationships or 
manage within a game the relationship between a catcher and an umpire, a catcher and the pitcher, the catcher and the pitching coach. It's not just simply showing up and existing and talking to those guys. It's an art on how to communicate with those three people pretty much at the same time. And he does it at a great level because he is a, a great person, a great teammate. And that's on top of his elite defensive skills. I mean, the, the arm looked phenomenal behind the plate in that second game. And uh, and he does the framing, like I've mentioned a couple times, does a great job of keeping the ball in front of him when, when needing to block. Yes, he's not going to hit the ball like Cannon Peebles hits the ball. But if you can't understand the value and see that he's an asset to this baseball team, I don't know what to tell you. And the, my last tangent before we catch a break here and come back and talk offense in that third starter spot. Breach, brother Ben. Dean Curley and, yeah, pass around the sermon. Dean Amen. Curley and, and Ariel Antigua. I, I, Wes, I do agree with you that maybe this team's ceiling is with Simo at second base. Uh, because Dean Curley and Ariel Antigua are not your average freshman. <laughs> they are, they have the potential to win like SEC freshman of the year, uh, but Dean is dealing with a hamstring injury, and Tony Vitello on vol calls last night and also when talking to John Wilkerson on Sports Talk on Monday morning mentioned that Dean is much closer to returning, and he was frankly available this weekend, but they just didn't want to push him with that hamstring, so I expect for him to get some action this weekend uh, and Ariel Antigua, I would anticipate him being closer to to maybe SEC play than to, to where we are right now. I, I don't think he's – I'd be surprised if he gets in there this week. I think we're still a couple of weeks away. So I, I don't disagree with what you said, Wes, earlier when you basically said that this team's ceiling is is with SEMO at second base. But I'm here to, to, to plant my flag on the hill that Christian Moore made a statement at shortstop. This weekend, I, I think, he was better than I thought he'd be for sure. Yes, I, and I agree. I, I'm not saying that anybody was wrong for thinking otherwise going into it, but Simo looked different this weekend, and, and kind of the things that I talked about with Cal Stark and his command on the field. Tony Vitello talked about that with Simo at shortstop, and how the thing that stood out to him was just how much communicating Simo was doing in between pitches, in between innings, really taking command out there. This has turned into Christian Moore's team. Christian Moore, Billy Amick, Drew Beam, it's their team. And you can really see it with Simo. And he has matured so, so much. Uh, that that freshman year for him, he, he was very immature, quite frankly, and, and needed to grow up fast, quick, and in a hurry. And he has done exactly that. And now I feel like the defense at shortstop has caught up to him. And that one got under his glove, but I, I don't – Again, I think that was more of a tough play than than him failing to make a play. I, I thought he was really good. I thought he was really smooth. Like you both said, they made the plays that need to be made. They they made the average play look great. And, and I'm I'm telling you, I, I think unless Ariel and Dean just take the position and run with it, and, and you can slide Simo over, I'm running with Simo at shortstop because I, I love the leadership aspect, and I think he's gotten really good defensively over there at shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I, I, at the MLB level, I get so, you know, one of the things, it, it's often frustrating to watch the Cubs these days. One of the perks of the of that now is you get to watch Dansby Swanson play shortstop every day. And even he makes errors here and there, and he's incredible defensively. And he still boots the ball occasionally. Just because you do that, that's baseball. I'm not concerned about it. Uh, I, I just... I, I liked what I saw from Moore. I did, and I think he'd be fine at shortstop. 
I just look at the level of shortstops that tra- traditionally kind of get to 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 um, Omaha, and he's got to get to another level to be at that level. So I, I hope for his sake he does it because that's going to help his value tremendously if he does that. He's already going to be a high round draft pick no matter what. He's good. He is a professional hitter right now, today. But I, I yeah. think it helps his value certainly if he's a shortstop. And, and look, I, I don't know, Will, last thought before we catch a break. I, I don't know that he'll be Maui Ahuna over there at shortstop. But, Wes, I, I kind of do think that he can be that, – that, that's what I mean when I, I'll stand on that hill. I think he is good enough of a shortstop. I think he has improved enough over there and has the athleticism to where he can be a shortstop on an Omaha team. I, I do believe that, Will. Well, I – I don't disagree with either one of you, but the the best news about it all is that we don't have to figure it out today or tomorrow. Um, we'll we'll kind of see as the as the younger cats get healthy and, um, you know, Christian Moore will get some more opportunities over there to give us more evaluation and ultimately give Vitello and staff, um, you know, more information to go off of. But I think I think Wes is right in that the the ceiling is probably highest with him at second because he's really good over there. And that means that we've got a, a freshman who's just that gifted to be able to handle that. Um, but B, if you've got a shortstop who just so happens to be one of your best hitters too, I don't know how many SEC teams have that going for him. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I'm kind of cool with it. However it shakes out. I think if he ends up being the shortstop, that means that he's earned it, which is a good sign. Um, and if he doesn't, it just means that the team is, is in a better spot because he's able to play second and mash from that position. And we've got a freshman who um, has shown a, a ton of upside. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't at all mean to sound like I disagree with Wes because I do not disagree with you at all. Wes. I, I'm just on. You're on allowed to. <laughs> oh, Wes knows that I will disagree with him uh, in a heartbeat and, and Wes oh, yeah. will disagree with me in a heartbeat as, as well. But uh, I don't mean to sound like I'm disagreeing because I'm not. I said that this team's ceiling is probably higher with Simo at second baseman if those freshmen are, are what they think that they can be. I'm just thinking after opening weekend, maybe we start giving more credence to the idea of Simo playing shortstop and, and maybe giving him more flowers at that position because I think he's much more capable than he's been given credit for leading up to the season that that's my only point mm-hmm. is that let, let's give him more credit for playing that position because I thought he played it at a high level this weekend and all the defensive guys that we mentioned here they still have to go prove it it's three games they're gonna have to prove to be consistent as they work towards uh, SEC play and we'll see ultimately if they can do that but I thought it was a good sign during opening weekend uh, the offense also had great signs during opening weekend, and we need to get away from Will Heflin's favorite thing to talk about pitching and, and, and talk about the offense, although we still have a little bit of pitching to discuss at the tail end. Uh, so we're going to take a quick timeout and come back here on the Diamond Vols podcast at GoVols247.com and talk about that lethal Tennessee offense. Money! Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. I'm joined by Wes Rucker and former Tennessee pitcher and two-way player, Will Heflin. Uh, speaking of two-ways, we've, we've been talking about the, the defense and the bullpen and the starting pitching. Need to talk some offense on this podcast. What everybody loves to talk about most, that's offense, Will Heflin. Not about pitching. Everybody wants to talk offense, okay? It's football, basketball, baseball. Everybody wants to talk about offense, not not defense and pitching. Come on now. Got to score to win, brother. Got to yeah, score to win. And you also have to prevent teams from scoring to win as well. But uh, before we continue our conversation, would like to encourage you to take a moment out of your day, a quick moment. It, it won't take a... It won't take up too much time to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Wes, Patrick, and Ryan recorded a segment last night reacting to Tennessee football's new assistant coach hires. Wes and I then talked basketball on the tail end of that podcast. And uh, we've still got two more podcasts coming this week reacting to Tennessee, Missouri on the basketball floor and previewing its big game against A&M on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then the trio of us. Silly people will be back later this week to talk Tennessee baseball a little bit more going into the weekend as well. Will, hard not to start talking about Tennessee's offense by not mentioning Christian Moore and Billy Gamick. Those are simply two professional hitters playing college baseball right now. Yeah, they're freaks, and I was really impressed with, with Billy. I already, I'd seen Christian Moore play a ton, so we kind of knew what we were getting there. Saw Glimpses of Billy in last year's regional, but goodness gracious, he looks so athletic in the box. He hits a home run to the opposite field, and then he hits a home run in the second deck to the pull side. I mean, is it an overreaction to say that he's probably a Golden Spikes contender after one weekend? I mean, I just I don't see any holes in the swing. His approach is good. He looks great in the box. Say, Will, you've got a man crush. Maybe I do. I the guy I love I love watching him. And um maybe he's our version of Dalton Connect on the on the baseball team. But I yeah, I just thought he looked awesome. And um it just he's one of those guys that when he comes to the plate, you you're almost more surprised if he doesn't hit a double or or hit a home run because it's just he's a walking barrel. And I think it was Simo got quoted, his nickname's Billy Barrel. So he's that uh, to me as well moving forward. So I thought Billy Barrels looked great. Demeanor was great. Swing is there. Athleticism's there. Power's there. He's a freak. He's a freak. And he's a he's a guy to have in the middle of the lineup. And um, Christian Moore just kind of started doing what he finished doing last year, and that's raking baseballs mm-hmm. to all parts of the field. I mean, the first game, his first two hits are just absolute seeds right back up the middle and it's like that's exactly how you want to start so 
those two guys were awesome. And then also I want to give myself flowers. I said, hot take Dylan Dryling will lead the team in something. He looked awesome. He's, he's obviously taking a step forward and he looks, he looks the part. And now we know he's a draft eligible sophomore. So bye-bye. Uh, Dylan's Dylan's got, you know, 60 games left probably in a Tennessee uniform and um, they're going to go really well, hopefully. But I, I was really impressed with him too. I was high on him coming into the season and he got every last stitch of that baseball for the only run we got on Saturday. So um, really encouraging there. And Wes, real quick on Billy. I mean, you and I, I think mentioned it before we started talking basketball yesterday, last night before we pressed play and, and, and I have a good buddy who texted me and, and kind of talked about something along the same lines as Will about would you rather have Billy Amick or Tommy White right now? And, Will, I don't think you're crazy at all for, for saying that Billy Amick is a Golden Spikes contender. I think that is absolutely the case. And I know it's three games, but I would go as far as to say there's not a third baseman in the SEC I would take over Billy Amick because – Tommy White's a great player, not at all saying that he's not, but I think Be- Billy is a better all-around player. I-, I think he flashed the leather this weekend. Tony continues to talk-, to talk about how great he looks running the bases because of the shape that Q has gotten him in, and I, I think he's a better all-around hitter than than Tommy, too. So I hope uh, LSU fans don't hear that because I, I won't hear the end of it. But uh, yeah, Bookmarked, bookmarked, bookmarked. B- Billy man, is don't that put guy. that on the bulletin board, man. You seen the y'all seen the movie uh, Radio when mm-hmm. he's at, at the diner and the the lovely waitress asks him which pie he wants. He wants both, and that's that's where we're at with Billy Amick and Tommy. I want both. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and and I I don't feel bad for bringing it up, Will, because other people brought it up first. D1 baseball. And he hit the game two. winner in the natty in uh, Omaha. I get it. I get it. I get it. But. D1 Baseball talked about it on Twitter. People are texting me about it. I didn't bring it up first. I'm I'm just saying Billy Amick is one of the best baseball players in the country, and, and I think he showed that opening weekend, even if it was just three games. I do think Billy Barrels has a more repeatable swing. I'll say that. Um, you know, a lot of times, and there's nothing wrong with it, but Tommy White, dude, dude gets his money's worth. Like, when he – especially when he's in, like, a hitter's count – that dude is, I mean, he'll leave his feet sometimes launching at it. He'll just go for it. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, it works for him. But the the small, simple approach that Amick has, as quickly as he gets that bat into the zone, that's why he hits all those barrels. His hands are so quick. His swing is compact. Just nice, short stroke right at the ball. And I'm telling you, man, that it's repeatable. Like people will find a book on him and they'll throw different things at him to as the season goes on to give him a hard time occasionally, um, but the way the the barrel rate that he and Moore have is so high. Um, it's not like they're just when they put a swing on the ball like they're they're not hitting a lot of drives to the left and right like they're they're piping it like they're hitting the barrel and really 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 good players can do that and I. He looks like he's in great shape. He's running the base as well. He really looks good in the box. He does. Um, the swing is good. The defense is just fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice job in the portal there, Vols. Nice job. Absolutely. And another nice area in the portal was Cannon Peebles and Dalton Bargo. You know, Will made the comment earlier, didn't necessarily have the results to show for it, but 
but it was easy will i thought you could easily see why tony and the staff wanted not only peebles he's the one getting talked about a ton but bargo's got a nice swing he, he's another guy that that didn't necessarily have the results to show for it but he cranked one that was just foul also cranked a couple of line drives that were just foul they they both have just really smooth pretty swings and a lot of pop in the bat yeah they do it was it's easy to see what's there with with peoples he'll be he'll be totally fine and i was i'm with you i was really impressed with bargo's swing and there's a ton of juice in there and he's got he's got a real smooth path makes me a little bit jealous um but he's he's definitely a nice piece to have wherever he kind of fits in uh to the rotation in terms of whether he's dh in or um you know sliding into the to the outfield somewhere um or or a pinch hitter i mean he obviously showed he could do that came in i think he had two two pinch hit hits um so that's that's a real that's a real nice piece in the portal as well um but yeah peoples peoples is a stud man i think he's gonna have a big year uh looked a little frustrated um just because the results weren't there had a couple real hard balls to second base that may squeak through um if he's a little bit earlier or it ends up going up the middle if he's a little bit later but that's baseball you don't want to get too caught up in the in the average of the numbers especially through three games he'll have a couple bleeders as we go that'll even that out in the wash but yeah going back to billy speaking of hard hit balls i mean the guy had about 18 doubles this weekend and i think he got robbed three or four times as well i mean Mm -hmm. the diving catch and left i think his first ab on friday he smoked one to right that a guy made a nice catch on and then the Baylor uh, center fielder made a really nice catch on Billy's uh, first at bat on Sunday. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of barrels in the, in the lineup. Um, And even, even guys that didn't have good weekends like Blake Burke, you'd almost rather Blake start a little slow. I mean, he he started really hot last year and then kind of lost his way a little bit. Maybe this is the, the reverse psychology for Burke. He um, looked frustrated and kind of, flipped at some balls, but he'll settle in and, and just be another piece in a already pretty dynamic lineup. Yeah. I loved the way that Burke responded there though, late in the weekend, um, you know, getting a couple of two strike hits, kind of getting the ball going that way. Like, you know, shooting some balls through the middle, doing some stuff, hitting a single into right field, which is almost impossible for him with the way defenses play him, but he can, he still found it. He still found a green spot out there. I think he'll be just fine. I'm not worried about him. And with all those other guys, that is what my issue was. We were talking about Cal Stark in the first segment. To me, it's not about what what Cal Stark is or is not. It's about the fact that what those other guys are. And when you play Cal, and it's fine. If catcher and shortstop, if you want to put Wizards out there with the glove and deal with the other stuff, I got no problem with that. You can win championships doing that. But we have to be honest about it. When you are starting Cal Stark a catcher, that means that that group of Peebles, um, Bargo, Villeneuve, all those guys, Curly when he comes back probably, there's a list of five or six guys there that you badly want their bats in the lineup. And yeah. one less of those bats is in the lineup every time Stark starts. And that is what sucks. Uh, it's like you've done a really good job recruiting a roster. It's almost too good right now because that gives you decisions to make. Um, but but that another topic for another day, I suppose. We'll see how it plays out. But I really like 
the approach. And I said this last night, I liked Tennessee's, for the most part, their lefty-on-lefty at-bats, I thought were really nice throughout the weekend. You could tell, you know, Dryling, even when he, they threw like five or six, five different lefties at him, I think, on Sunday. You know, that sucks. But he put some good swings in there. You know, Burke had a couple of hits off lefty-lefty. Um, you know, uh, they they put some balls in play and did some, did some good stuff. They, you can tell they've worked on that. They've done a nice job there, um, and that's going to help the lineup because if you got lefties who can hit lefties, whew, uh, good luck as a pitching staff getting around that. I thought that was one of the sneaky, one of the better things I saw over the weekend was their approach against lefties I thought was really good. Yeah. Ben, what about your guy? Vill- Tell me how to say it. Villeneuve? Villeneuve. 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 Give Ben give Ben the flowers on this one, man. I know he got to see a bunch of scrimmages and talk to V, so he had the inside scoop. But I want man, that I want that stick in the lineup. That guy's a barrel. I mean, that, it seemed like yeah. every baseball he hit was just on a line, a hundred miles an hour exit velo. I mean, yeah, just pure hitter. I I had only one problem, one issue with the lineup in all three games. I didn't have an issue with with Tony trying to get Burke in the two hole and and have have one of the better bats in the three hole protecting Burke and, and giving some protection to Burke. I I completely see that. Although I I do think Burke right now is is probably better suited in that six or seven hole at the moment. And and I like Dryling at the top. I think Burke is going to be perfectly fine. I think he's overthinking too much. And and I think once he he can find some some green grass or find the other side of the wall in Lindsey Nelson. I, I think that confidence will come and he's going to be perfectly fine. I, I'm not worried about Blake yet. And I don't think I will end up being worried about Blake. He'll be perfectly fine. Um, but I do think for the moment he is better suited in that six and seven hole uh, until he finds that confidence. Uh, but I didn't have a problem with him trying to hit him in the two hole and find him some protection behind him with that three and four hole. Uh, I like driving up top. I didn't have any issues with Cal Stark. I agree with everything you said about Cal Stark, Wes. Uh, I just don't want – I hate the overreaction when Cal is in the lineup. Oh, yeah, but, no, it's out of oh control. My gosh, it's, what are the coaches you doing? Can see, you can see it. Yeah, you can see it's starting to already get a little bit too vitriolic there. Yes. It, it's. I, I understand the hitting aspect like you said, Wes, and I agree with you, but let's not pretend that – not that you're doing this, but the fan reaction when Cal is in the lineup is – what in the world does he provide? And that's just totally inaccurate. Uh, but long-winded way of getting to my one issue with the lineup this weekend was not having Robin Villeneuve in Game 2 lineup or the Game 3 lineup after he looked awesome in that Game 1. He, he looked awesome all throughout the fall, has been looking good throughout the preseason, and he comes out and he works the walk and is staring back into the dugout. In, in game one, he, he ropes a single there in game one, not in the lineup game two, not in the lineup game three. And then even without he, being – I think he started but, game two and he got pinch hit for later, did he not? No, that was game one. Game one he started. And pin, game, and one, and game one he started and got pinch hit for, yeah. Yeah, game one it. he got started and then they brought in Bargo – and pinch hit for him. I think it was Bargo that, that pinch hit for him. Didn't see him in game two. And then in game three, didn't start but came in off the bench as a pinch hitter and laced the single to, to left field. And uh, he, he has a lot of Juan Soto to him in the box and in the the theatrics in a good way because he's such – it's not him trying to, you know, 
catch all this attention. It's him because he's locked in and fired up and and ready to go, and and that sparks the team. So I understand that that Tony has a difficult job right now writing out this lineup. There's somebody that's not in the lineup, multiple guys not in the lineup every single night that should be in the lineup, and it's it's an impossible task right now. But I I just, man, I I think you got to find a way to have Robin in the lineup at least two out of three times each weekend right now. Yeah, I think part of that, if I had to guess, was a little bit of a predetermined thing they were going to do over the weekend. And then that maybe later in the year you would adjust more to the flow. But I think they, I think some of that stuff was probably, you know, they wanted to make sure every, all those guys got ABs over the weekend. So they probably plotted that out. Would be my guess. I don't know that, but um, that that would be my first guess at it. But yeah, I, I think um, when push comes to shove, I think you're going to want 17 in the lineup. I do. 1,000%. And, and the last person we need to mention in the lineup, uh, we, we mentioned him in passing earlier. It, it it's This just speaks to the depth of this Tennessee lineup when he is the last guy we're pretty much talking about, and that being Kavar's tears. I mean, the game that he had on Sunday – he he struggled in that opener, wasn't in the lineup on Saturday. Reese Chapman got a shot. And then for him to bounce back the way that he did, I mean, Tennessee goes down 2 nothing early, and then in the top of the second, he comes to the plate after back-to-back walks and smokes a three-run homer the opposite way in a big league ballpark. And then later on in the game, hits one 410 feet, comes up a foot shy of a second three-run home run. Uh, I, I believe he also had a single as well in that game, had a walk. I mean, Kavar's tears, he, he's still ironing out the kinks and, and working to be consistent. But the upside with that young man, for him to be in the nine-hole hitter in, in that game and do what he did, uh, again, it, it just he doesn't need to be spoken about last, but somebody has to, and it just speaks to, to how many weapons are in this Tennessee lineup. Yeah, it'll play out, but he looked he looked really good on Sunday, and that, that opposite field swing is – is textbook and he's strong as an ox. So he can, he can hit it out to anywhere, especially at Lindsey Nelson. Um, I still remember, I always go back to that swing he took against um, the closer against Vanderbilt to get us within one when he just peppered the, uh, the batter's eye straight away dead center. And he, he was kind of, if you guys remember last year, he was kind of starting to play every day and was, you know, hitting 300 and and really just starting to contribute seemed like he had worked his way into being one of the guys. And then he had the, it was either the oblique or the hamstring seemed like he just dealt with some real little things that that set him back the whole year. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what he can put together in terms of a full season being healthy. If he, if he's fortunate to stay healthy, certainly a, a, a huge piece of firepower to have wherever you, you could put him in the four hole and be fine. Um, or he can be down in the lineup and help you turn it over. But, I mean, it, you see it with all the really good teams. It's like there's no there's no let off. And that was kind of one of the issues for us last year as we struggled to get production um, from the from the bottom half of the order at times. Um, and, you know, teams like LSU and Wake Forest, it just seemed like there was no let off. And to have to have the options to be able to have power – and speed and just good at bats all the way up and down the lineup is huge. So it'd be really interesting to see what they end up settling on when it comes kind of mid SEC. Uh, when you're when you're in the full swing of that you start to see the same nine ten guys every day. Um, 
but there's still there's still certainly a lot of good questions when it comes to the the coaches meetings and and how they're going to fill out a lineup card every day yeah, I like tears. I always have. I really, really, really like that kid. Um, and if guys like that are in your nine hole, you're doing, you're, you're living right, you know. And, and you're not running on him in right field. Yeah, so. no, it's a hose of an arm. And, and and the length of that lineup again is the reason why I said this before. I'll say it again. We don't have to talk about it at all. But I'm just going to mention it again because I'm going to keep mentioning it. I would like to see Christian Moore in the leadoff spot. I want him getting the most at bats on the team. I, I want to. Why not, Ben? You have you have Amick. You have you have guys in the three yeah. like Christian Moore gets on base so much. I want him. I want him getting the most at bats on the team. I I just don't with as lethal as this lineup is. I don't think in terms of mo- getting the most at bats on the team. I don't think there's a huge difference in batting first and batting second or third. I just I'm saying I'm I, I I love Hunter Ensley. I do, but if you're if let's say you've cycled up to where it's the ninth inning. And there's two outs, and that leadoff spot's coming up to the plate. Who do you want up there? That's what it comes down to for me. But there's, I'm, I don't disagree, but there's just no guarantee that Simo would be the guy coming up. Yeah, but why would you not? You're take. Why would you do I, anything I that prefer, takes the bats away from him? I, I just don't think that it. I know the analytics say that the the guy leading off uh, over the course of the season proves to earn the most at bats or, or whatnot. And I, I certainly see that at the major league level, but at, at the college level, when you have a lineup as deep and talented and as many times as they're, they're going to run through the lineup, I, I just don't know that it matters with this particular lineup. Whereas last year's lineup where it wasn't turning over as much, then yeah, I, I think that that would be a great thing because you, you guarantee it, but I, I don't, I mean, I think he's already guaranteed to get as, as many at bats as he needs. I just, I, I'm not getting too deeply analytical about it. I'm just saying, it, who would you want getting the most at bats on that baseball team throughout the course of the season? I would pick Christian Moore just because of everything he does. Well, I would pick Billy Amick and then Christian Moore. But you saw, you yeah. saw like Dylan Cruz hit. He rarely hit in the three hole for for LSU. He was he was one two mostly. I mean, imagine coming into Lindsey Nelson and AJ Russell just goes three up, three down, two punch outs, a weak grounder, and then you run out there on the mound, and the first guy you got to face is Christian Moore. Like that's not that's not a comforting feeling. Nope. And then when he hits a double, and you probably have Dryling behind him, you're already going right left for for that matchup. There's just no, I don't know. I, I'm with Wes on this one. I think it packs a punch, and I love. Hunter Inslee thought he had a really good weekend yeah, too, but I, I think he can add value down in the lineup to help you turn it back over to Christian Moore and just let Christian Moore do what he does. I mean, he walks a lot when he doesn't walk, he hammers mistakes. Like I'm not as worried about the RBIs with him because you have, you have other guys that fit that mold so well, like let Christian Moore be your table setter. So I, I would told a buddy that, um, that I would, my ideal lineup would be Christian Moore in the leadoff as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't at all think that that's a wrong thought by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not what I prefer. I, I would Fair rather enough. have him hitting in in the heart of the lineup. I, I'd rather have him coming up in critical situations with with runners on base um, than knowing at least that at one point in every game he's coming up with nobody on base. Uh, and he is – like I think he would be a good leadoff hitter because of what you said. Will he he finds ways on base. He he walks a lot. 
um, which really plays at, at this level. But I, I just I would prefer him more likely to come up with runners on base than him be the guy trying to get on base for others. But but that's just my line of thinking, and, and we'll see how it ends up playing out. They, they certainly lack a, a true leadoff hitter. Don't know how big of an issue that's going to be, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it ends up playing out. Uh, we need to talk about Xander Seacrest in that third starter role before we get out of here. Uh, Wes, what what were your thoughts coming out of that game three? Obviously, it wasn't the way Xander would have preferred to pitch. Only goes two innings. Uh, was not able to put hitters away when he got two strikes on them. Tony talked about his secondary pitches bleeding over the middle of the plate and maybe getting a little too cute uh, when he had two strikes and, and too worried about striking guys out rather than, than just throwing the pitches with conviction. Uh, so I, I don't want to just immediately write off Xander as that third starter off of one start, off of two innings. I, I think he deserves a little bit of grace because he had been pitching well, from my understanding, leading into the season. And that's going up against all these hitters that we're talking about. Um, but I, I do think that is the biggest question mark coming out of the weekend and uh Tennessee certainly doesn't lack options. I mean, I, I think if you wanted to, you could flirt with the idea of Snead or even Causey starting game three. Uh, Matthew Dallas and Derek Schaefer looked really good in, in their uh, appearance. Uh, Schaefer's box score doesn't look great, but I, I didn't really think uh, Oklahoma hit him hard. I, I just think they had some bleeders that that found some yeah, grass. They, I, they had two. And, they had two dug farts that found a way. Yeah. So I mean, those two freshmen, if if they can get going, then then maybe they're an option, but. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see even starting this weekend against Albany if, if Xander gets to start again or or if they go a different route. I would start him again, just quickly. I, I would. I I don't. I think if he's an important guy on your team and he earned that spot to begin with, I don't think after one bad start pulling him sends the right message. I think you send him back out there, and it sucks that it's not a really super quality opponent because you could see him the next time you play, you go into SEC play, and then you're having the same problem again. Whatever. Because you know he struggled last season, a couple appearances late in the year against SEC teams. I get it, but I would, I would, I would keep the leash long. I, I would let him, I would let him throw a little bit more this weekend as a starter. I, I'm not gonna like complain if they move it around, but I would keep what you're doing because I really like the idea of a lefty starter in the mix somewhere. And I think if he's earned the spot in the off season, I think you let him go out there and try again. I don't know. It's I like Xander a lot, and I think he's a good pitcher. And I know he's obviously more disappointed with the outcome than anybody. But for me, it was kind of the way it looked more than just the the box score. It just didn't look like he was he was attacking guy. Like if you're gonna get beat, like get beat going right after it. And it did look like he was a little he was a little timid, especially like with two strikes. Some of the some of the pitches to to put guys away just weren't competitive enough. Um, so for me, I I would almost I really thought Matthew Dallas looked good, and I like having a lefty in there. I would almost predict that he could probably end up being that third guy if you don't want to move Snead or Causey um, from the bullpen. I think we probably do see Xander again this weekend. I just for me the ceiling's probably not at its highest with him as a starter. I think he can definitely add value to the team and he is certainly a good pitcher. Um, so look for, look for a bounce back from him in whatever role, but I would, I would almost just go ahead and move away. I think you've got, 
I think you've got plenty of of options and I'd start now trying to figure out the best combination. And I just think, I don't know. I know it's the first one, but you're almost like you, you, you can't let that be your first one. It just, as a, as a competitor, like I know you got, yeah, easier. you got a coach who it, makes mid count sit on here and say yeah. like, you, you just got to find a way to hang a couple zeros. But like as a Sunday guy, and I was kind of, I was kind of in a weird spot because I was, treated as the sunday guy from the from the saturday slot just because we had blade tidwell locked down that sunday role as a freshman and he you know certainly had a great year and is super talented but for me the whole the whole role was like hey find a way to get three four scoreless and let us get in the fight and then anything after that is gravy um because we we came into most saturdays having only used Tunley, so we had a full assortment of of bullpen options so if you're if you're Xander sitting in that in that Sunday spot, like you really just got to find a way to get a couple zeros, and then you're in the game, and whatever happens after that happens. And so that's kind of what I think V and and company will look for in terms of in terms of that third role. I, I just I just really didn't see it, and it, it kind of pains me to say it because I think Xander certainly earned it and has done well throughout his career. I just I don't know maybe maybe that was just a, a weird didn't have it day. Um, so maybe run him out there again, but yeah, I was I was really disappointed in that, and not to not to take away from him or anything, but Matthew Dallas looked looked awfully dang good, and I could see the upside there um, for really having a a crazy one two three. You could even slide. You probably wouldn't, but if you if you wanted to go right left right, and you had Dallas on in the middle of the of the uh, beam and AJ, that would be something to look at too. I certainly think you all both summed up that situation adequately. I don't really have much to add because adequate is what I go for. That's usually that's 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 what I'm going for is adequate. Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad y'all could set the narrative straight there uh, after narratives were trying to be rewritten over the weekend. But uh, I I thought y'all's thoughts are my thoughts as well, and I thought y'all summed it up perfectly. Very fascinated to see who pitches on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week against UNC Asheville tonight. Today's which, Schaefer, right? Yep, Derek Schaefer will start. The true freshman righty will start today against UNC Asheville. Very curious to see when Dallas pitches. Very curious to see when Matthew Dallas pitches this weekend. And uh, I think by the time the SEC play rolls around, I think he could certainly be in the mix to potentially be that third guy. Folks just need to remember that he is coming off of a seven-month stretch of, of not pitching due to a shoulder injury. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was my thing with him there. too. Is he didn't throw in the fall, so it may be it may be better to keep him to shorter outings. But golly, the the upside—I mean, dang, he looks good. He, he Big, does look electric good. from the left side. Like they, those don't grow on trees, guys. And let's remember that the only reason he made it to Tennessee was kind of some weird stuff in the draft. We weren't really sure if he was going to, you know, be in that Carson Rucker group and he ends up getting to campus and it's just kind of like, wow, you, you really want to set that guy loose and see what happens. I mean, it's, it's just not easier, but you see more freshman pitchers than hitters step right in and perform at a high level because it, it's it more just comes down to stuff, not necessarily a, a, a huge adjustment to the college game. There's a little bit of one, but more so on the hitting side. You're seeing better pitching. You're seeing, you know, more developed um, ways to to pitch to you. As a pitcher, it's like if you've 
if you walk in and you're Drew Beam and Chase Burns and you throw 95 with wipeout off speed, like plug them in, let them roll. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I see with, with Matthew Dallas a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, th- I think as we get more into it and maybe build him up, I think we see him get a couple opportunities to start. That'll do it for this edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. Appreciate Wes Rucker and Will Heflin for this time on this Tuesday. Again, Tennessee will be back in action later on on this Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern against UNC Asheville. And then they'll be back in action on Wednesday at 4.30 again against ETSU before welcoming mighty Albany to town this weekend for a three-game series. And, of course, we will have plenty of coverage of it all at GoVols247.com. And we will be back with another Diamond Vols podcast on Thursday to recap the midweek games and preview this weekend as well. So for Wes Rucker and Will Heflin, I'm Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vaults Podcast on GoVaults247.com. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the GoVaults 24-7 Podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, nobody, and I mean nobody covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. 
less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.